Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of The Why Behind the What, where the what can start a conversation, but the why can open up one's soul. My name is Nathan Albert, and I am so glad you are here with me again. Thank you to all of you who are listening. Uh, we have people listening in 33 different states, five different countries, uh, and I am so thankful that each of you are listening. It is so encouraging to know that uh, people all over the world are listening to this podcast as I sit in my apartment uh, talking into a microphone all by myself. Uh, so thank you. It is incredibly encouraging. Second, guys, I've got some great news. My book, Embracing Love, My Journey to Hugging a Man in His Underwear, is being printed as we speak. Finally, it's here. Uh, this has been such a long process. The last couple of years, we hit some major bumps in the road. I had to get a new publisher, uh, but it's here. It's available. It's going to be on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, all sorts of other places where you can get books, and you can get your copy. And I am so excited to have this book out there and to be able to offer it to all of you. Now, I had an idea. I thought, once the book was released, what if I spent a few weeks on this podcast doing kind of an overview of each chapter and some of the content in the book? And then I thought, well, what if I give away free copies of my book and I'll even autograph them? So this is what I'm going to do. Uh, if you want a free copy of my book, this is what you have to do. If anyone in the next couple weeks who shares my podcast via social media, whether that means Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, make sure you tag me in that post or anyone who writes a review of the podcast up on iTunes, I'm going to put their name into a drawing. And then each week during this uh, series on embracing love, I'm going to draw a name out of that hat and uh, that person I'll announce it on the show, and that person will get an autographed copy of my book, and I'll send it right to you. So that's what we're going to do. Now, on to this episode. There's a lot going on in our country right now about transgender individuals and the use of public bathrooms. People are boycotting Target because they are allowing trans individuals to use the bathroom of their choosing. Uh, other organizations and people are spouting hate and, and fear and all this rhetoric that is... Um, quite dehumanizing. Uh, some, some, uh, there are some of these conversations that, that are relating trans individuals who need to use the bathroom with criminals who are going to abuse children. Uh, it, it's becoming ridiculous. What really gets me fired up in all this is much of the fear and the dehumanizing language and the disgust that's coming out of people's mouths. It's coming from Christians, people who are supposed to be known for being loving and kind and gracious and welcoming and hospitable and understanding and, and caring for those on the margins of society. So instead of doing a, a rant on this subject, and instead of talking about transgender individuals, I want to introduce you to my friend Eli. His story is quite unique, and I am excited that he is going to share it with you. Uh, Eli is a transgender individual that I've known for a handful of years, and my hope is that through this interview with him, you're not only going to learn about Eli and his journey, uh, but you're also going to get a better understanding of the transgender community and the broader queer community. Now, of course, Eli is not a representative of the entire trans community. Uh, this is just one story, uh, one of many, but it's an important one that I think uh, you need to hear. Now, Eli and I have known each other for a few years, uh, <laughs> how we actually got uh, knowing one another is he would prank my office 
And uh, when I was working in Chicago, I'd, I came into work one day and there were literally hundreds, maybe 500 balloons all blown up in my office. Had to pop every single one to even get to my desk. Uh, another time I came to my office and he had plastered with some friends pictures of Kristen Chenoweth all over, I mean, hundreds of them. And then the, one other time around Christmas, uh, they pranked my office by wrapping every single item in my office in wrapping paper. I mean everything, pens, pencils, my scissors, my keyboard, my computer, my chair, my books, my bookcase. It was awesome. Uh, so yeah, Eli is really good at pranks. Uh, but with that, uh, it's my privilege to introduce and welcome Eli to the why behind the what. So Eli, welcome. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Eli, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where are you from? Where'd you go to school? What are you doing in life? Fill us in a little bit. Introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, that was quite the introduction, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I try. Yeah. Um, I'm proud to say that all of those pranks did happen in real life. <laughs> it's true. Yep. yep. We didn't make that up. No, not at all. Um, my name is Eli. My pronouns are he, him. I grew up just outside of Chicago. Um and have lived in the same 10-mile radius my whole life. I went to undergrad at North Park University, um, which I think we'll talk about more in a bit, maybe. Um, did I answer all your questions? I'm a, I think I, so. Yeah, okay. What are you, yeah, what are you doing right now? What's your, yeah, what are you doing right now in life? Yeah, um, so I work in theater. I'm the production manager at a storefront theater in Chicago, Filament Theater. Um, and then I'm also, as a day job, I work in special education. Um, I work one-to-one -one with students with comprehensive needs. That's awesome. Um, and so when we met, I knew you by your birth name. Um, and in the last few years, we've been friends now, I don't even know how many years, five years, seven years, six years, a handful of years. Some years. <laughs> yeah, somewhere between zero and 50, uh, yeah. we've been friends. Um, but in the last few years specifically, you've had um, a pretty extensive journey with uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, how you identify yourself. Um, so can you share a little bit about that journey um, and how you've ended up where you are um, now identifying with pronouns as he and his, which is different than your, your birth? Yes, for sure. Um, yeah, so I think it's relevant to say right now I identify as trans. I'm a trans guy. Trans is short for transgender, um, and I also identify as queer. So my gender identity is like transmasculine, I guess, or trans male, and my sexual orientation is queer. Um, the first year that I knew you, Nathan, that September, you invited me to um, kind of like a GSA Gay Straight Alliance like panel that you were speaking on on campus. And the only reason I went was because you invited me. Um, and there was a trans woman speaking on that panel. And um, I said something, after the introductions, I said something to her like, thank you for your words, or like your introduction that was really um, moving. And she said to me, oh, well, what, what about it was moving to you? Or what about it was important for you? And then this is like my Lindsay Lohan story. Um, <laughs> awesome. I'm ready for it. Great. So do you remember, I grew up, I was designated female at birth. So I grew up like 
as a girl watching chick flicks and whatever. Do you remember that Lindsay Lohan movie called Freaky Friday where she and her mom swap bodies? Okay, totally. and so there's a scene where they're in the Chinese restaurant and they open they like open the Chin the fortune cookie and there's an earthquake, but they're the only ones who experience the earthquake. Like no one else in the restaurant knows that there's an earthquake going on, right? Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So that that was my Lindsay Lohan earthquake moment when this you were sitting on the panel, but this trans woman said to me, Oh, like challenged me or kind of like asked me to dig deeper, like why, why were my words so important for you? And I had this like cr insane earthquake thing happening to me in my brain and my body. And it was like, oh my God, I'm queer, I'm queer, I'm gay, I'm queer. And that was like my coming out to myself. Um, and then three days later I told two best friends and the day after that I told my pastor and you who were, was at the time another one of my pastors. Um, so that was how I came out to myself or realized that I was not a straight person. Um, since then, that year I came out as gay and I was really specific about using the word gay and not lesbian. Um, it didn't... Explain, yeah, explain that difference. Because for some people, I think they automatically hear gay and apply it um, to males. Right, but yeah. So for me, so for me lesbian was gendered as I didn't think of it in these concrete terms at the time but now that I look back on it I can think I can understand it better um I wasn't I didn't understand my gender identity a gender identity at the time but I think like looking back this was the beginning of my understanding and I think a lot of the conversations I had with you at the time you maybe were like seeing that as well um but Lesbian, that word is specifically for women. Gay can kind of be for anyone, but you don't hear a lot about lesbian men. It le but there are lesbian women. And so it felt, I think it essentially felt misgendering for someone to call me lesbian because somewhere in my body, I understood myself to be male, but I wasn't telling anyone that. And it certainly wasn't a safe environment to tell anyone that. Um, yeah, so I, I was coming out as gay everywhere, uh, to my parents, to my friends, excuse me, to my pastors, um, I was gay. Yeah, so that was the and, beginning. And can you explain or give a broader definition? Because I, I think there's a lot of people are confused that, you know, the LGB of that acronym, lesbian, gay, bisexual, all relates to sexual orientation. And transgender is different because it doesn't, always equate sexual orientation it's much more as you said gender identity so can you um define that for people or explain the differences between that and and even for you how explain more on your gender identity but then also your orientation if possible yeah um so yeah so i certainly can't give a history as to why t isn't included in the acronym but i can talk about my own personal experiences right right um for the way i understand it and experience all of these things um gender identity for anyone is like the root of who they are and then we use other words to talk about our sexual orientation based on our gender identity um so if I am a man, 
which I am, <laughs> um, and I say that I'm gay, that means I'm attracted to other men. However, if a woman says that they're gay, that means that she's attracted to other women. So that kind of, I, does that give an idea of the difference between yeah. sexual orientation? Sure. Yeah. Okay, I think that's why using the word lesbian was so scary for me when I was coming out because lesbian implied that I was a woman attracted right. to other women. And I was not saying that. I was, I think the word gay was like a placeholder for, I don't fit into this heteronormative narrative that you all think I do. Right. And so for most people, trans is, it's more focused on the gender identity aspect, right? So I, as a heterosexual male, I identify with my original biological sex as male, um, and I express my gender in certain ways, um, gender expression. That might mean I'm really manly, or I mean, if we all know me, I'm not that manly, um, <laughs> but I am. I still express my gen, my masculine gender, and my orientation also ties it ties in with my kind of the heteronormative. Um, orientation where I am attracted to females. Right. And, and so for trans individuals, you can be a trans male, but be attracted, your attraction, your orientation could be separate. So you could be attracted to a female or a male. Is that right? Yeah. In fact, it is separate, I would say, rather than gotcha. it could be. Yeah. Um, so I, one of my friends who's a gay, so there's the word cis, cisgender, you are cisgender. Sure, yeah, define that for us. Yeah, so the, the prefix cis, um, C-I-S, comes from Latin, Latin, and it is, uh, it means on the same side, um, and it's used, I used it in organic chemistry to talk about molecules, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> um, but for you, <laughs> you are cisgender because you're assigned sex at birth was male and you identify as male. Right, right. That is on the same side. Trans is the opposite prefix in Latin from cis. And I am transgender because I was assigned female at birth, but I, I, I do not identify as female currently. Yeah, that's helpful. And I it, lately, cisgender is, that's terminology that's somewhat new, but but is gaining popularity or use, I should totally. say. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit how you then went from, because when we first started talking, you it was your coming out process and identifying and identifying orientation. So how did how did you start uh, the process of um, I, your gender identity? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> um, I. After college, so North Park, which is where I went to undergrad, is, I would consider it a fairly conservative evangelical Christian university. Um, yeah. Now that I am not in that environment, that's how I would talk about it. <laughs> um, and so while I was in college, I just, it was like kind of fighting tooth and nail to not be straight. <laughs> um, so once I got out of college, I started just sort of allowing myself to buy clothes that I felt comfortable in. That was like a first step, I guess. Um, and that was shopping in the women's section, but mostly buying like button-ups and corduroys. Uh, and then I saw my dear, dear friend, 
um, who's a trans lady, she performed in Carol Churchill's play Cloud Nine, um, which explores a lot of gender identity, gender expression, gender performance. Um, and that was like another kind of a smaller, it's me and my own earthquake experiences. Um, and from there, it just, I kind of started doing some more reading and some more thinking and researching terms and words and what can I be and what word can I use to talk about myself. I know we had conversations about like what words do I use to talk about myself. Um, I started dating a person who was genderqueer and it, it just sort of like snowballed into being like, okay, well, I feel comfortable using, using these words and using these clothes and not using my birth name and these are my pronouns. It kind of was, it was very organic. Um, gotcha. Much more organic than the first time when I realized like, okay, I'm not straight. And you, you said you identify uh, as queer as well. Can you expand on that for people that, because queer is a, is a term where I feel with the broader LGBT community, uh, there was a time where queer wasn't used. It was totally. much more derogatory. Absolutely. Right? And so now it seems like the broader LGBT community, queer community has reclaimed that word. For sure. Um, and so, and there's, I think, more and more perhaps the LGBT Q community might simply identify as the queer community. Like that actually might become more an inclusive term. So can you exp um, expand on that um, in your experience, what queer means and how... Um, yeah, how you identify with that? Yeah, totally. Um, I would say that I fall on the gay side of queer, meaning I'm like mostly attracted to other male identified people. Um, but like you mentioned, queer being a more inclusive term and becoming a more inclusive term. For me, when I say that I'm queer, it, it means that I'm not only attracted to men who have penises, or not even only attracted to men. Um, it it kind of like loosens the boundaries and uh, also allows for the gender binary to not exist in who I'm attracted to, or like who I'm interested in dating. Um, I think it's also worth mentioning that the word queer has a lot of other implications besides just who you're attracted to. Um, so at least in Chicago, the queer community is very social justice oriented. Um, mm, interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about ableism, about accessibility, um, intersectionalities between gender and race, um, sexual orientation and race. Uh, Black Lives Matter is um, a value that's like really upheld by the queer community in Chicago, or a lot of it. Um, so being queer is not only about... I've learned being queer is not only about who I'm attracted to, but also kind of like some some values that I hold as well as a person who's not straight. Gotcha. Gotcha. And it, it seems to the orientation side of it, it's more a spectrum than the binary of gay or straight. Totally. For sure. Right? Yeah. 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 That's good. Some other words that people may have heard like pansexual, for example, that might fall under like the queer umbrella. If that's okay. Helpful. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So how did, as you, um, journeyed through um, or kind of organically explored your gender identity and started identifying as a trans male. How did family, friends, pastors, 
how did that, how was that, uh, those people supportive or encouraging or even discouraging to you in that process? Yeah. Um, that's probably a really big question. It's a huge question. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you shrink it down then edit that question. Go ahead. Great. Just edit it. Answer how you want. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at first, yeah, how do I start? Where? Uh. <laughs> um, it was really complicated because I knew that I needed to start coming out before I knew some things that sh felt like they should have been set in stone. So, for example, I knew that I needed to not be called my birth name, but I also knew that it was too much pressure to choose a name that was going to be my first name for the rest of my life. So I was like at this weird cross section and with all this tension building up. And so that was, or pronouns too. I knew I needed to not be called she, but I wasn't ready to be called he. Um, and so the theater that I, some ways that I came out um, and some communities that I came out in included the theater where I was stage managing at the time. And we were in the middle of a run um, of the show. I mean, like, date-wise, calendar-wise, we were the show was up and running, and I just told the cast, like, hey, can you please call me Claire Michael and use the pronouns they, them, theirs for me? And they were like, yeah, great. And, I, and, I, and in the small communities, I told my several close friends to do that. I told my church community to do that. And in the small communities where I did do that, I also made sure folks knew that, like, these words are placeholders for right now. I'm still figuring this out, and I also need to be respected by language, so this is the language that respects me. Um, and so the theater community, or that place where I was stage managing at the time, they were all so super supportive. It happened to be a cast of seven guys and one woman. <laughs> um, so I suddenly had like seven male, um, like, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, mentors <laughs> who like taught me how to, like in the dressing room, they like taught me how to tie a tie and gave me a rundown on buying my first wallet. And like- That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was so, it was so wonderful. Um, and my two dear friends. So uh, one thing that I use is a binder and I think we'll talk more about that later also. Um, but. I use a binder to bind my chest to help with gender dysphoria. Um, and my two dear, dear friends who happen to be married to each other, handy for me, um, <laughs> they, let me <laughs> they let me have my binders, my first binder shift, shipped to their house because at the time I was living with my parents and I was not out to them. So I experienced a lot of support in a lot of different ways in some communities. Um, yeah. yeah. As far as my family goes, I didn't come out to them until about six or, mm, five or six months after I started coming out in other places. Um, both my brothers are incredibly supportive. One of my brothers works in retail, and a few weeks after I came out to him, it was my birthday, and he gave me a new pair of pants that he knew would fit me just right, like men's pants. And That's like, great. didn't say, didn't have to didn't say anything about it. Didn't have to say anything about it. It was just like, hey man, here's your birthday present. It was really cool. Um, my parents have been less than supportive. 
Um, and that's been a really, really hard journey um, in essentially losing, losing my mom and dad. Um, that's been really hard. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry that that's the case. Um, yeah. That's like a, yeah, I, I can't imagine. So I, I, but I, but the crazy thing is how often that's the norm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I mean, that that's a total norm. And I'm just like, I don't know if you want to use the word lucky or blessed um, or honored enough to be financially self-sustaining. I live in, I mean, the day my parents found out that I was trans was literally, it was, I think, 10 hours before I was moving out of their house to live in my own apartment. Um, and so while there has been like verbal violence from them um, and uh, attempted manipulation and like all sorts of weird uh, kind of like fictional shit, but it's my real life. Um, I've also been not kicked out of a home in, in ways where I'm not experiencing homelessness. Um, I can right. afford my own groceries. I'm paying my own bills. Um, so in that sense, I'm really, again, like honored or lucky to be in that right. situation. Right. And you're in a community that, I mean, the, the queer community in Chicago is quite large. So there is, um, I mean, some places in the U.S. don't have that. Right. right. Like if you're in the middle of Iowa, that totally. might be really hard to find where, where there's there's a huge, and there's resources Absolutely. and organizations within the city. Um, I'll ask you more about that too, but I want to go back to what you were saying about binders and continuing the journey um, with, you used a term, uh, gender dysphoria. Yeah. Right? Um, so fill us in on that process that you, I mean, you are um, going through hormone treatment. Um, so you're, um, some people call it T, but uh, testosterone uh, injections. How did that come about? Um, because I think some people don't know that that like that's a really long process. Yeah. Uh, surgeries that some people do get surgeries. I know you're you're um, planning that in the future. So shed some light on that for us. Yeah, sure. Um, so just because I'm a trans guy doesn't mean that I was going to start testosterone. In fact, at first it. It took me over a year to even consider wanting to start tea. Like you said, testosterone tea for short. Um, and not all trans people are, are, are pre-op or operative at all, like not, meaning not all trans people want an operation in the first place. Um, right, right. I experienced a lot of gender dysphoria around, specifically around my chest. So gender dysphoria is like a physical discomfort, an emotional discomfort regarding or like associated with living in my body, basically is how I describe it. Um, yeah. So um, I started binding using a binder, which is like an actual safe thing that you can purchase <laughs> under that name, as opposed, I think in movies, to, I used a binder to bind my chest. I think in movies, a lot of the time, it's portrayed as like wrapping duct tape around a sports bra or using ace wrap. I just want to say, like, in case anyone out there knows a trans guy or a person who m might be binding, that is very unhealthy and very unsafe. So you can buy binders that are a, that's safe for your body to bind with and still accomplish the same end result. So that's like why is that dangerous? Um, 
it, it doesn't give your ribs room or your body like room to move um, gotcha. when you're breathing or. And so being in that for hours and hours over time is causes damage. Yeah, you can break a rib. You can, I, okay. I even, wow. even in using binders, where, which is like made of flexible, it's still sturdy, but made of flexible material that's fabric. Um, even though I was doing it safely, I sprained my lower ribs last October. Right. Yeah. And so like for a few weeks, it was like hard to poop and I couldn't, <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't go to work. And like, like my doctor told me to force myself to take one deep breath, take a deep breath once every minute. Like you can get lung infections from not breathing deep enough from sprained ribs. So there's all sorts of binding related injuries that can occur, especially when you're not using an actual binder. Um, gotcha. So but, you started binding. Yes. And injuring yourself. Yeah. But then when did when did the like how does a how does one go about um getting testosterone? Yeah, like, that's that... a great question. Um so once I decided that I wanted to start testosterone, um in Illinois and specifically in Chicago, there's a policy called informed consent because testosterone is not currently approved by the FDA for trans guys to use. Um, and so informed consent basically means you go to your doctor and they give you a big piece, a big packet that says like, you may or may not get cancer. You may or may not turn into an alien. You may or may not grow a fourth arm, much less a third arm. Like, um, it just says like all the things that could maybe happen to you while taking this non-approved drug. Um, sure. And you sign it and you have a conversation with your doctor and then you're prescribed tea. Um, and because it's not regulated by the F or not approved by the FDA, um, there's the farm, the pharmacy that I go to is very, and the doctor that I go to is very trans affirming and like does their best to help out with the financial end of acquiring hormones. But there's this like negotiation every month between the provider, the pharmaceutical companies and someone else like the insurance or something to see like how much is tea going to cost this month so some months my month worth of tea is like 40 bucks but it or even less like it could be 15 dollars for a month's worth of tea but because insurance doesn't cover it it could be upwards of like 90 dollars for one month of tea um so that's kind of rambly but those are some interesting facts about tea not all doctors prescribe tea um, I'm really, again, like you said, being in Chicago with so many queer resources, I'm really thankful to go to um, a doctor who is happy to <laughs> prescribe my tea sure. and like measure my levels and make sure that I'm within a regular range and stuff. Yeah. Um, for those listeners in Chicago, Howard Brown Health Center is the place to go for that. Gotcha. And how long have you been on tea? And and what what have you seen... Um, like physiologically happen with your body? Yeah, I've been on tea almost six months. It'll be six months on May 6th. Um, so I don't know when this podcast is airing, but you might be able to celebrate my sixth month tea-versary. <laughs> 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 or seven uh, or eight months. Um, yeah, yeah. So things that I've noticed, I'm hairier everywhere. Like 
in the places that you're thinking, but also <laughs> like my arms are hairier. I shave my face. It's only once a week, but I still feel like I need to shave my face because I have these weird like coarse hairs growing out of the side of my cheekbones. <laughs> Welcome. Yep. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, my feet grew. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So they, the bones didn't grow, but in general, my musculature is changing. So my none of my clo old clothes fit me anymore, and none of my old shirts, um, because my shoulders are getting wider. Um, in general, T like rearrange—that's kind of a weird word to use—but rearranges your fat storage in your body. So I now my or my body is starting to store fat in a more male patterned way. Um, so I have a belly now, <laughs> is what that means. All right. Yeah. Um, eventually, my voice will be changing a lot more. I've noticed changes in my voice. Um, I don't know if you notice a change in my voice. Yeah, I think there's definitely, yeah. Really? That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so some of my friends say they notice changes. Other people, not as much. Um, but in the coming like year and a half to two years, my voice will drop considerably. Right, right. Yeah. There, and, and it's different for every person. I mean, I know a, a trans guy here in Rhode Island and um, like you're saying about healthcare, he struggles with finding doctors and he actually um, has to drive up to n north of Boston to find, like you said, trans affirming doctors that, that actually know medical stuff about this. That's, I think, one of the, the things with trans, um, there's the issues are some doctors have no knowledge of your experience, whether it's emotional, spiritually, physiologically, psychologically. Um, but he, I mean, he's been on trans for a few years. and Been on T. His, or sorry, been on T, thank you. Um, and his voice didn't drop as much as he hoped, but it dropped from what it was, and he completely passes as a guy. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's done quite a bit for him. Um, and he, he also had surgery, uh, he had top surgery, and that's something you're considering and pursuing. So, what? How did that process come about? And because it's it's not an easy thing to do, I no. would imagine. No, it's not. Um, that is an interesting piece of like the history of me and my gender identity. I've known that I've wanted some version of top surgery since I was like twelve. <laughs> I think I heard about somebody, one of my mom's friends, or something got a double mastectomy, and then I, and I was like, oh, that makes total sense. It was because of breast cancer, but my 12-year-old brain said, oh, that makes total sense. And then a few weeks later, I heard that she had, like, reconstructive surgery, and I couldn't wrap my brain around why anyone would want their, any female or woman would want their chest reconstructed. That didn't make sense to me. So fast forward to now. Um... I, I mentioned that I didn't want to start tea for the first like year or year and a half that I was out as trans or understanding myself as trans, but I have wanted top surgery. Um, I, I, did, I talked about binding and experiencing a lot of dysphoria around my chest. Um, so I'm really looking forward to having top surgery. As far as the process goes, um, you need to find a surgeon, first of all. The first surgeon who I had a consult with, um, I didn't really feel like I jived with him or the language that he used. He didn't seem to be very trans-affirming. Um, he just knew how to do the procedure, maybe. 
Um, but I recently had another consult, a different consult with my, the person who's going to be my surgeon. Her name is Dr. Allison Shore. She's here in Chicago. Um, and the next step is getting covered by insurance. So it's likely that my health insurance will not cover the procedure because my health insurance, they will say that it is an elective cosmetic surgery. Now, I've had my therapist and my doctor both write letters essentially saying this is not elective and it's also not cosmetic. Eli is in fact trans and this is like for his mental and emotional health as, as well as physical well-being with like sprained ribs from binding and stuff. Um, so with those letters, my surgeon's office is um, appealing to insurance and that's kind of a long process. Uh, we have to appeal, I think, three times before we're officially denied coverage or I'm officially denied coverage and then I have to pay completely out of pocket. Um, wow. Yeah, so today is the day of this interview can I say it? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Today is Friday, April 29th. Um, I have been, I kind of preemptively started fundraising um, beginning in mid-March because I'm pretty positive insurance won't cover my surgery. My, today's Friday, April 29th. Um, I'm hosting, I have an online fundraiser, but I'm also hosting a fundraising event on Friday, May 13th. And then my surgery is scheduled for Friday, June 10th. Um, so my surgeon quoted me eight to $10,000 for the surgery. Uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. We might have to have you back on after that. Like yeah. Sometime in the summer. Yeah. We'll have to do like Eli version two. Right. With, or podcast ver uh, episode two with Eli. Totally. Um, Eli post op. Yeah. Yeah. Um, post op. I call my, so trans folks have a lot of, or like we, we use a lot of different words for our body parts to make other, to, to make the words gender affirming. So like, for example, I'll say these words, but I don't use the word breast or boobs. Like that is not, that's a misgendering term for me. Instead, I call my chest fat sacks. There you go. <laughs> so, uh. so right now, to give you a crystal clear image, we're having this is part one, fat sacks. We can have a part two, no fat sacks interview. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. What um, so at the time of this interview, there's all this hoopla right now about the use of bathrooms, specifically Target, transgender. You know, people are saying, or there's laws being written that trans individuals need to use the bathrooms of their biological sex because there's all this fear, like someone's going to get raped or abused or whatever the fear is there. Would you comment on that? I mean, as, as a trans individual, how, how does this make you feel? And what is your response to and all the social media and news coverage right now on all this. Yeah. Um, I would say I'm just looking to pee, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, to be less silly about it, though, um, 
like I would ask cis listen cisgender listeners, or you are a cisgender person, are you ever afraid to go into the bathroom? Or are you ever afraid to go into a public restroom? Do you ever think about is this restroom single stall or not? Um, do you think about like what kind of social cues you should and shouldn't use in order to like keep a low profile in the restroom? Do you ever think about having to keep a low profile in the restroom? My guess is the answer to all those questions is no. Is it for you? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, those are all questions that I consider every time before I use a public restroom. Um, I have a running list on my phone of like neighborhoods that I'm in frequently in Chicago and where there are gender neutral restrooms. And so I specifically go to those establishments to use the restroom. Um, yeah. Because in Chicago, you can technically be carded if someone thinks that you're not using the appropriate restroom. And then if the gender marker on your ID doesn't fit with the restroom that you're using, you can be fined. Um, and possibly arrested, I believe, even. Um, so it's terrifying for me to use the restroom. Every time I use a public restroom, it's terrifying. Um, I'm, <laughs> quite frankly, I feel, I, now I have been a victim of a, an anti-trans hate crime in the past, um, so I'm terrified of that happening again. If someone reads me as non-male or non-cis in the male restroom, um, what's going to happen to me? Uh, that's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. A friend here I know, uh, was saying in, in the churches that he was a part of, um, just getting involved with, should he, um, go to the, you know, whether it be the restroom, the men, the male restroom or the female restroom, but then getting involved within the church community so much was you have men's Bible studies and women's breakfasts exactly. and, um, a young adult, like and so he never got involved in a in churches out here because he didn't know what he could go to. I mean, he passes as a guy, but then he goes to the men's breakfast, but he's they find out he's a woman, you know, like it's just right. utter confusion. And so for him it actually hindered him from getting involved in a in a spiritual community. Um let alone now with all that's going on with um you you read in the news from hate crimes and um, some of these other things, but it's, uh, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Cause I think that sheds light for a lot of people. It's, we forget the stories that are involved in this, that it's just a news, it's just a news thing, or it's just a law that we should pass, but this actually involves people. And so hearing your story is it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, let me look here. Um, one, one question I want to ask you, um, and maybe we can end on this, but um, you grew up in a Christian home. You attended a Christian university. When I knew you uh, at, at the university, we worked in all sorts of doing ministry, worship experiences, Bible studies, prayers together. Um, but now I know that you struggle to identify as a Christian and or faith for you looks differently. Can you shed a little bit, shed a little light on what has been your faith journey and as you've identified um, as trans, do those, can you, do you reconcile those things? Are they, um, do they kind of butt up against one another? Um, share a little bit about that, that journey. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, a lot of it is about language. Um, 
yeah, there's the church historically, um, the Christian church has been an oppressor, of, a major oppressor of a lot of different groups of people um, and used its language and used what it deems to be the language of God to oppress people. Um, and so that is part of it, um, not wanting to align myself with such an oppressive institution or a, such a historically oppressive institution. Um, and then also, when I go to church now, and or if I go to church, I don't attend church regularly anymore. Um, but when I was going to church, like semi-frequently, all of the language about God was patriarchal, oppressive language. <laughs> um, and I just kind of got fed up with, with, our, with what humans' understanding of God is and how we talk about God now. Um, I'm, I'm don't believe, I do believe in a being, a spiritual being. I, I would maybe use the word God to describe them. Um, I'm not going to use the pronoun he to describe them. Um, I do believe that we're all spiritually connected and like human lives matter because of that. Um, but I don't believe that any of that should be connected to or really is connected to the oppressive institution or, I mean, even currently oppressive institution that is the church. Now, I know that for some people or a lot of people, those could be fight, fighting words. Um, sure, sure. But I mean, like I said, attending a Christian university after I came out, it, it, I think I used earlier the phrase fighting tooth and nail um, just to not be straight. Um, and then the church community that I was in when I came out as trans, even though it was a very affirming community for gay men, <laughs> it was not affirming for me as a trans person and like didn't really know how to hold me or care for me um, and hurt, did cause a lot of hurt. Um, so I would say the church now is still an oppressive institution in in, in certain communities, and I'm not interested in aligning myself with that oppression, um, much less perpetuating it by telling people that I'm a Christian. Even that can be oppressive to other other people in my queer community. If I if I say that I'm a Christian or like talk about going to church, that immediately becomes oppressive for them. Um, so I'm still figuring it out. I mean, aren't we all? <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Uh, that's kind of where I am right now. Maybe we can check in again in episode two. Sounds good. What What would you say to to the broader? I mean, it's one thing to talk about church as an institution, but it's made up a bunch of people, and all of us are, you know, we're like you said, we're all on this spiritual journey. So, what would you say to individual Christians who many of whom might be listening um, about faith and the trans community in your experience? I mean, what um, yeah, what would your words of advice or, hey, this is a way that you can fill in the blank? I mean, what, what, would, that, what would that be? Um, I would say rather than telling folks what you think, 
listen to folks. Um, even at this affirming church, I was told that, I was told a lot of things about what a lot of people thought. Um, so if you ask questions and listen and, and then respect the answer to those questions and show that you're listening, um, use the pronouns that someone says that are respectful to them. Use that name um, because the reality is they're a person who has to live right now. Um, the church, no matter how long your denomination is going to take to change or how long it did take to change to be more inclusive, that person still has to live their life right now in this moment. And it's kind of a matter of are they going to live their life with you or not? Um, and so you can be really inclusive and really supportive by respecting that individual no matter where your denominational um, policies are. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I, there's a rabbi I know who in a documentary said it's when you don't know someone, it's easy to demonize and dehumanize them. And you would probably add even oppress them. Uh, but when you know people, when you listen to their stories, when you are in relationship with doing life together with them, uh, it's a lot harder to demonize, dehumanize, and oppress. And I think um, that's been, for me, one of the biggest lessons I've learned from many of my LGBTQ friends. Um, the more I learn their story, um, the more I realize, oh, what I said a few weeks ago was ignorant, or, oh, I never knew this theological interpretation uh, hurt them, or I never knew um, what an experience would be like for my friend Eli to use the bathroom at Starbucks, um, or whatever it might be. Um, so I think that's a, yeah, it's a great word. Um, can you, as we end, give us some info, your um, fundraiser, your um, raising support for your surgery, as well as resources um, about the trans community. Um, what are, Fill us in on all that. And then I'll also, for those listening, I'll put this up uh, in the info box. I'll make sure I have all these links included. Um, so if you're listening, just go uh, into the info box that's on iTunes or in Podbean or however you're listening, and those links will pop up. So Eli, tell us some things. So my fundraiser is, you can find it at www.gofundme.com slash Eli dash top dash surgery. Um, I'm currently just under $1,300. My online goal is $6,000. So if you were to contribute any amount of a gift, that would be more than... I would be so honored, I guess. Um, as far as resources go, I have a stack of books right here that I'm going to hold up the covers to Nathan over Skype. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that these books are really helpful. Um, aside from like Googling your questions before you go and ask a trans person an ignorant thing, um, I think Google can be really helpful. But also, here are some titles. So, Transgender History by Susan Stryker. Yep, She's a, a trans a woman. Um, the Gender Outlaw by Kate Bornstein is one of the first memoirs ever written by a trans person. Um, so, that's a really good book. Also, I have Gender Outlaws, The Next Generation, which is a, it was edited by Kate Bornstein and a trans, another trans person, S. Bear Bergman but it is a collection of essays by 
people who fall under the trans umbrella. Um, and it's really helpful. The essays are like three pages long. It can give you a clue to what's going on in folks' lives. Um, Judith Butler is a person to always start with when you're thinking about gender identity. So here I'm holding up Gender Trouble by J Judith Butler. Um, and then a really important one is called Queer and Trans Artists of Color, Stories of Some of Our Lives. And it's a collection of interviews conducted by Nia King. And um, the queer and trans person or people of color or QTPOC community, it's especially um, is really underrepresented and also really subjected to um, violence. So I really highlight that book in particular um, as far as increasing visibility for those sisters and brothers and siblings. Um, I hope those titles are helpful. That's awesome. That's great. And I'll be sure to put links and all that up for listeners as well. So. Uh, Eli, thank you for uh, your honesty and vulnerability and sharing um, with millions and millions of podcast listeners. And by millions, I mean like, you know, not that many. Um, but <laughs> thanks for that. Um, and then thanks for your friendship and uh, not only pranking me, but um, allowing me kind of into your, into your faith journey and into your uh, life journey. Um, and it's been, it's been my pleasure um, to kind of walk with you as you... Um, explore and you've taught me a lot as well so appreciate appreciate you thanks nathan thanks for having yeah. me on sounds good and maybe we'll do a post-op episode two later this summer sounds good looking forward to it thanks eli so here's to eli and his friendship and story here's to talking with the trans community instead of about the trans community Here's to growing hair, starting to shave, and overcoming gender dysphoria. Here's to a faith that listens well, learns a lot, and loves much. And here's to the why behind the what. Cheers. Cheers.